season, Advent means coming. And it is, thank you, and it is the season that we prepare over and over again for the coming of Jesus as a child in Bethlehem and look forward to his uh, coming return. We try to place ourselves in the first century, reminding ourselves, I was wondering where these were for like the last 20 minutes, they're right here. Okay. <laughs> oh boy, at least they're not on my head. Okay. We try to place ourselves in the first century uh, we try to picture ourselves under Roman occupation. We try to say, what would it have been like to have been longing for a Messiah, ha to be under the occupation of Rome, to be essentially ostracized in my own country? And then God coming in flesh, what we call the incarnation. That's, that's what Christmas is. That's what Advent is. And so we've been going through the book of Isaiah, some of the most beloved passages of the book of Isaiah as we go towards Advent. This book is written over a 60 or so year period between 740 BC, 680 BC. I think uh, people guess. I'm just telling you what they say. Uh, it's written at a turning point when God's people have broken covenant. God has rained down judgment on his own people, and now he's promising something else. He's promising uh, a gospel, essentially, a new kingdom. He's promising a new creation. He's promising a people that will walk with him. And so we're going to look at my favorite passage of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. If you have a Bible, it's about halfway through. I mean, literally, I should check that. But uh, And if you don't have a Bible, just Google NIV, Isaiah 40, and you'll come to it. It's, it's so popular. I, I think I preached this passage six months ago, but I have a say on what gets preached. And I love this passage so much, we're doing it again. So chapters 38 and 39 tell the story of King Hezekiah, who is a pretty good king, but he's going to die. And he uh, doesn't like the fact he's going to die, so he begs God for more life. And God gives him 15 more years. In that time, after he's healed, an emissaries from this up-and-coming kingdom called Babylon visit him in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah says, I essentially need to show off how good I am. And so he takes them into Jerusalem and says, check out everything I have. Here's the gold. Here's the silver. Here's everything we got. And the Babylonians, taking notes, go back to Babylon. Isaiah finds out about it, and he confronts him. You, Hezekiah, you, you shouldn't have done this. And because you've done this, years from now, Babylon is going to destroy us 200 years later. Hezekiah hears it, and in the worst line of all of Scripture, personally, I think, he says this, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Think of how pathetic that is. No repentance, no prayer, nor Lord save us from judgment, just, well, it's good for us now, and I'm going to be dead when that happens. So who cares? So Isaiah, when he comes to chapter 40, is no longer talking to people that are alive when he's alive. He's talking to people that are 200 years from now. He's talking to the people who are going to be down by the waters of Babylon, sitting down to pray with their harps, banjos essentially, crying. They've been exiled. They're on the outside. And into that comes the word comfort. Comfort. Can you recall a time you've last been comforted? Uh, we have an entire industry of comfort food, which uh, 
is on high alert uh, over the Christmas season based on the things that are on my desk from just about everybody. Uh, we have places we go to be comforted. In fact, if I said, where is the place you go to be comforted? You could be like, I go to somewhere warm in the winter. Uh, I go to a person. I go to a place. I go home. I sit in my bed. I sit on a couch, whatever it is. We all have this. We all want this. We all need this. And so what would you expect God to say if he was going to comfort you? Like, what, what would be the things that come to mind? I mean, don't cheat and read ahead, even though some of you know this. What God uh, thinks is the best way to comfort you is just to talk about himself. And that's what he does in Isaiah 40. So here's the comfort of God, verse 1 through 11. God's people are broken. They're in Babylon 200 years later. Isaiah sees this happening, and he talks to them now 200 years before with God speaking, comfort my people. God has not abandoned them. He is treating them like children who have stumbled, and he's picking them back up. This is the prodigal son story of, of Isaiah. You know, the father sees the son and go off and ruin his life, and now here he comes limping back, and the father runs out to him and embraces him. Speak tenderly to my people. This is like, a, the Hebrew is a man, like a man wooing a girl. This is like an abandoned husband trying to win his wife back. The words are careful. The words are thorough. The words are meant to strike to the heart. Wives, you, you probably know this. Sometimes your husband changes his tone with you, and you begin to realize it. And you go, hmm, I wonder what he wants. You know? And you think about it. You're like, what does he want from me at this time? Because what is he doing? He's, he's trying to get you to do something for him. Well, this is different. This is... Uh, I am abandoned by you. You have hurt me, and now I'm trying to woo you back. That's what God is doing here, speaking tenderly. Their sin is serious, verse two. Speak tenderly, proclaim to her. Her hard service is completed. Her sins have been paid for. That she has, that she has received from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. There's a lot there. Let's just say this, though. It's the Lord that brought the judgment. And that might uh, hit you kind of funny on Christmas. It might just hit you kind of funny uh, generally. You just go, man, I'm so glad I'm in the New Testament. You know, like none of that judgment talk where armies are coming and wiping people out uh, for someone's sin. But let's just be for real. You haven't read the New Testament. If you think it's easier in the New Testament, it's actually more harsh. The, what is the number one thing Jesus talks about in the New Testament? Judgment followed by money. The New Testament is graphic. It ratchets up judgment. It's not Jesus just meek and mild. Yes, that's all true, but there's others. And so God himself has poured out judgment on his people. I mean, what is Advent really, right? Advent is Jesus breaks into the world. There's light into darkness. I mean, what does he say in John 9? For judgment, I have come into the world. Like, Jesus, why did you come? Well, we say, oh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that ever believes in him will not perish, have eternal life. But what about John 9? Why have you come into this world, Jesus, to judge it? I mean, why do we take this, this symbol? Why do we take candles? It's because we're saying we are in darkness and light has come into the world. That is, we are in darkness 
and light is coming in the world. This is not fuzzy feeling. This is not, ooh, this is cute. We're gonna sing Silent Night, how beautiful it is. Everyone's gonna hold a candle. It's we are in darkness and there is light. Do you hear what you're saying? I mean, every Christian should sing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Do you hear yourself what you're about to sing? That saved a wretch, man, like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That's like basic Christianity 101. Everyone in here, what is the thing we have in common? Wretch. Go to any other club in Bozeman, I promise you. They're not getting together like, what's the entry point for everyone in this community? Oh, it's that we're wretches. It's that we're blind. It's that we're lost. You wanna minimize the darkness of your own life? It's when you stop thinking of your darkness as an offense to God and start thinking of it primarily as a struggle. Do you hear these words that come out of your mouth? I'm really struggling with, and it's appropriate. I am struggling, but it's not primarily a struggle. It's primarily an offense that has to be paid. I mean, my entire profession is to convince people that it is not as small as you think and then to pick up the pieces of everyone's darkness as they destroy people around them and themselves. That's my job. And yet, comfort. And here's the announcement. It takes place in a desert in the wilderness. If you know Handel's Messiah, you're, you're probably singing it as you hear it. Verses three through five, you know, in, in nature, there's a wilderness. And in the wilderness, which is unsafe, there will be a road that will go through it. And it will be flat, straight, safe through the mountains. I mean, we, we probably don't appreciate that as much uh, in, you know, whatever year it is, 2023. But let's say you're in the 6th century BC. The roads aren't great. And now here comes a road of a voice calling out in the wilderness. And what is it? The road is flat, easy to travel. No one's going to, no, no marauders on the road. They're going to take my stuff. And into that comes who? John the Baptist, who is the Verse three, the voice calling out in the wilderness. Now there's a second voice. Verse six, cry out. And I said, what should I cry? And God tells Isaiah, say to everyone, their faithfulness is terrible and God's word stands forever. You're just like, why is this comforting? It's the truth. The comfort is for people who are not consistent. All of you been consistent this week? Anyone? Every single way, every stop, every word, every thought, every emotion, totally consistent. No, and that's who the comfort is for. The comfort is for everyone who not only doesn't live up to their standards, but doesn't live up to God's standards. Like we often find ourselves guilty because, oh, I didn't live up to my own standards this week. No, your standards are terrible. The people are like grass. The faithfulness is like flowers. They're, They're grass in August in Bozeman, Montana. Grass that's dry. They're flowers. Oh, those beautiful flowers that you can buy and bring to your spouse or bring to a friend. And two weeks later, you're like trash. Faithfulness. No matter how much water you give it, no matter how much food you give it, they're going to die. I mean, let that sit on you that God is playing a comparison game here. Here is my word that stands forever. And here is you, grass people, flower people. And you know, if you read history, just, just read church history, what do you find? How many denominations are started because the denomination they were in lost it? Lost the gospel. After what? After 
faithfulness and revival and God at work and amazing things going on. And then what happens? They walk away and, oh, we got we to gotta revive this group. We start another group and then that group goes down. I mean, I, I've told you this before. I think of upstate New York all the time. Upstate New York is, there's an area called the Burned Over District. It follows uh, Highway not the 90 across New York. And it's where the second great revival, uh, great awakening happened. People coming to Christ in tents all over the place. And you know what? It's the most unreached area in the country today. It is the least churched area of the United States today. It is where Mormonism started. It's where Jehovah Witness started. It's where Wicca started. All in this one area of the second great awakening. And you, you, if you've been in a church, uh, you may have seen some stuff. Uh, the most effective people, and all of a sudden they're abusive and they're heretics and they're in cults. People who've been in this church 50 years, you know people who were at the beginning of the church who joined cults and came back. You know people who walked away. You know people. And, and if you've been a Christian for any time, you know it. And this is what it is. Our faithfulness is what? Like a flower. And God is saying, listen, uh, on one hand, you've got you. On the other hand, I've got my promise. I will build my church. My word, the word will go out. It will not return void. And God says in the end, I have the last word. That's the comfort. And now for the reaction, verse nine. You who bring good news. So this is all supposed to be good news. Are you comforted yet? <laughs> You're terrible. Your faithfulness is not good. My word stands forever. Comfort. And then the person sings, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on the high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout, lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. When did that happen? The beginning of John's gospel. What, what does John say? The word became flesh, made his dwelling. He tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory. What, is, what does Isaiah 40 say? The glory, the glory of God will be everywhere. What does John 1 say? The word comes flesh, incarnation, dwells with us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. That's the comfort. The comfort is God is coming. God is coming. And here's what's so crazy. He came. Like we're not celebrating Christmas every December like, is he gonna do it? Is Mary gonna have birth? You know, like, we already know, spoiler, he came into the world of broken darkness. And yet at times we know the world is dark, which is why we celebrate or long for his second coming. And so what is the comfort for you this Christmas? Is it the comfort food? Is it the endless scrolling on your device? Is it disconnecting from those around you because you just can't handle it and so you just gotta go in your room and be silent? I mean, you're here this morning, right? You, you're looking for something or you're dragged here by your friend or spouse, one or the other. What is the only comfort in life and death? One of the old catechisms asks that we are not our own but that we belong wholly to Jesus Christ. That's the comfort. Now, verse 11, here's how tenderly he's calling us. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So the picture of Isaiah 40 is supposed to overwhelm you in the future as we go through it here. But in the middle of it is a picture of a shepherd bending down, lifting up sheep and carrying him. Now, 
God is not calling us sheep to flatter us. In fact, I mean, one of my most favorite people that uh, passed away this uh, year ago now is Jack Braxman. Every time I talk about sheep, he just goes, sheep are so stupid, Darren. Sheep are so stupid. They're dumb. They're careless. You know, the weather changes and a third of them die. And yet, God says, I'm the shepherd, you're the sheep, and I'm going to pick you up. You don't even know where you're going. I'm going to carry you. That's the comfort. All right. Now he explains himself, verse 12 through 26. So here comes, what is God going to do? God says, I'm going to come. And now who am I? Here's who he says, verse 12. Consider the creation. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or in the breadth of his hand marked off the heaven? Who has held the dust of the earth in his basket or weighed the mountains on the scales or the hills in the balance? That is, everything that is big to us is small to God. God takes all the water of the earth and goes, well, it's about like this. He, he looks up at the heavens, the stars, and he goes, well, it's about that wide. He measures mountains. We behold the vastness of the universe, the stars, the sky, the water, the mountains. And God says, whatever is big to you is small to me. I mean, what does it mean when God says, in the beginning, not God said, but God's word says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, God, we think of creation like we, 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 we created this building because we put the lights in and the wood and the whatever else that I don't know anything about. And this thing went up because we all had the material for it. But God didn't have planets like Plato going, okay, what are we going to do here? There was nothing. And then God said, let it happen. And he spoke it and it was created. And why is it then that the mountains we look at move us? Why is it that sunsets move us? Why is it that walks on the beach move us? Why is it that hikes move us if you're walking slow enough and not out of breath? Why is it, mm, why why are these things? Because there's something in nature that when you watch the sun go over the water and the sky lights up, you think the heavens declare the glory of God. There's something inside of you that longs for whatever this creation is telling you. Everything that is big to us is small to God. Some of you have been on airplanes, most of you. You know what it's like at 2,000 feet, 10,000 feet, and 40,000 feet, right? Everything looks so small. And that's just our perspective. Now, next round of questions. Verse 13 and 14, his independence Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom does the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? That is, God doesn't ask anyone questions. He doesn't go, okay, I gotta get my advisors together. I want all of you to give me top three reasons why we should go this way and not that way. And I need to give you the three pitfalls. We're going to do a SWOT analysis here of humanity. And then I'm going to take whatever I think is the best plan. He doesn't do that. He doesn't ask us any questions. He doesn't wonder what we're going to do. He doesn't seek counsel. We seek counsel. We ask friends. He's not like us. God has never asked anyone a question that he doesn't know the answer to. 
He is a wonderful counselor. All right, the nations now, verse 15 and 16. These are people in exile. These are people that have been destroyed. These are people who have been ravaged by war. And God says the nations are nothing. The superpowers are nothing. The Greek dynasty or the Greek empires and the dynasties in China and the Roman Empire. Do you know what those are even for us today? Those are one page in a coloring book on history. Do you ever think about that? Like, how do I teach a thousand years of history in one country? Hey, kids, why don't you color in that picture of China? There's the history. Diocletian, a Roman emperor, third, fourth century, created a medal that said, the name of Christianity is being extinguished. And he had statues. Statue number one, Diocletian, for having extended the Roman Empire in the east and the west and having extinguished the names of Christians who brought the Republic of Ruin. Number two, Diocletian, for having abolished the superstition of Christ, for having extended the worship of the gods. Who's the fool now? They are like dust on scales. You ever had dust blow into a barn and try to sweep it? I mean, what are you doing? You're in a barn. You ever have dust come into your house and you're trying to sweep it out? God is saying, that is what the nations are. I sweep them like a broom in a kitchen. They're nothing. Empires rise, right? Empires fall. And through it all is God. And when push comes to shove, he's the only one left standing. Verse 16 is thrown in for good measure. There's not enough wood or animals in the world to offer an offering. Lebanon is not sufficient for the altar fires, nor the animals of burnt offerings. Why is Lebanon being uh, picked on here? It's because Israel saw them as having lots of wood, and they did. They had forests. And so what Isaiah is saying is, there's not enough wood for the entire offering system that we have going on, sacrificial system, to repay God what he's owed. There's not enough animals. If we took every animal in the world and sacrificed it, it wouldn't be enough. That is, there's no repayment plan with God. There's not enough to actually give him what he deserves. Let's keep going. Remember, this is all comfort. (laughs) Verse 18 through 20, consider how ridiculous you are. Let me comfort you with how ridiculous you are. With whom then will you compare God? To what will you liken him? As for an idol, the metal worker casts it. The goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver, chains for it. A person too poor presents such an offering, selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. That last line cracks me up every single time. Uh, I'll tell you why in a second. So here's the immensity of God. He looks down, grasshoppers, dust, measures the heavens like this. Everything is small uh, to him that is big to us. And our response naturally is, let's build something that I can put on the bookshelf. And let's make that thing flat. That's what that last verse says. So that when my friends come over, it doesn't fall over. Because that'd be embarrassing. Yeah, it would be embarrassing. It's embarrassing. It's even on the bookshelf. An idol is just something that's more important than God. You don't, some, some people actually have real 
uh, not real idols, but ones they actually can see and other people have them in their heart, the things that your mind goes to when you're on default. I wish my family was like this. I wish uh, my life was like this. I wish I had this. If I had this, then I would be safe. If I had this, I would be comfortable. And that if you don't get it, then you begin to, I don't know, punish people, punish yourself, punish your family because that idol is forcing you to obey it. And don't think you're not skilled. You're very skilled. I'm very skilled. Isaiah talks about it just a few chapters later, Isaiah 44. This is how skilled people are. From the rest, he made an idol. He bows down and worships. He prays, says, save me, you're my God. Okay, tell me how you really feel, Isaiah. They know nothing. <laughs> they understand nothing. I'm talking about the idol here. Their eyes are plastered over. They cannot see their minds are closed. They cannot understand. And then he turns to us. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge to understand to say, half of it I use for fuel. I baked bread over it. It's coals. I roasted meat and I ate it. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, and this is the key, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? In other words, those who worship idols don't see the absurdity of the worship of idols. They, they just can't, you, me, we can't get ourselves to say, is this not a lie? I mean, spiritual blindness, I, just, I mean, I don't know how many more examples I need in my own life to be like, yeah, that's real. I'll just use my own life. I remember being in a church my whole life. I remember being interested in answers about God, not God. I remember wanting to defend God as if he needed it instead of God. I remember wanting to, people to know I had read the Bible, not actually read the Bible. Does this seem absurd to you? Try to convince people who Jesus was without wanting to convince myself who he was. Singing songs. Just staring off into space. What am I singing? Who cares? Spiritual blindness. I mean, I've, I heard a testimony of someone in our church this year where it was, I've been in the church for 30 years and I became a Christian this week. What is that? Have they not heard the gospel? They're like, well, I don't know. I didn't hear it. What are you talking about? You hear it every week. You sing it. Well, my lips were moving, but my heart wasn't in it. Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? It's hard to say. Let's keep going. God's perspective. He sits above <laughs> the earth, the circle of the earth. That's typical language. The people are like grasshoppers. God has, all he has to do is to blow on them and they disappear. Can you name any leader of a of major, say, you guys are his, some of you history people, before the 15th century? Can you name one? maybe two, maybe three. We can color them in. And last, consider the stars, verse 26. Lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes, friends. Who created all these? Who brings the starry house out one by one? Who sets them forth by name? Or calls forth each by their name? Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, the people are in Babylon, right? The, Babylon worships what? The stars. And Babylon looks to the stars and says, there's our gods in, in the constellations, in, in, in the stars that are shining in the sky. And God says, listen, people of Israel, 
I measure them like this. I've named each and every single one of them. You know, I've, I've been outside a little bit at night this month because it's a little bit warmer than normal. And you just stare up at the stars and you just go, he named that one, that one, that one. Now, one light year is 5.8 trillion miles, right? I'm out of my depth, forgive me, I don't care. And the observable universe is 93 billion light years. So one light year is 5.8 trillion miles. The observable universe is 93 billion light years. The Milky Way is just 100, just 100,000 light years. And God says to the people, I measure all of it like, yeah, whatever. Like Isaiah didn't know what we know. That we, we have telescopes and the, 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 the scientists that I guess know stuff, they say, actually, you're looking at a million stars. I'm like, I see one. Okay. You know, when, when people get a hold of a God, and that's probably the wrong way to say it, when, when the vision of who God is gets a hold of your heart, that is not a trinket or a toy, but is a God who literally does that to the universe, it changes you. This is not a God who is too small for your problems. You know, Job 38, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, do you understand who marked off the dimensions? He's, you know, talking to Job here. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it or what were its footings or where was the cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Have you ever had an experience of God that just overwhelmed you? Not nature, just God himself. Experientially, we thought, I mean, it's, here's the logical arguments. Okay, fine, fine. But experientially, get overwhelmed with who he is. You know, Thomas Aquinas, I've told this story a few times. I don't care. I'm, I've repeat myself now. I've been here for a while. Theologians in the 13th century. He's 50. He's written prolifically. He's so smart that he's writing books at the same time where he would dictate a book, say, hold on a second, I got to go over to book four. And he'd have like four or five scribes in a row. And he's just dictating theology. That guy is like next level, okay? And one day he stopped. He stopped writing everything because he had some sort of experience with God that he would not talk about with anyone except when he wrote all every, I feel like everything I've written is straw compared to the things that I have seen and been revealed to me. That is, he stopped. He, he, he just was overwhelmed by it. And that is the comfort. The comfort is the God of Isaiah 40 wraps himself in flesh in his son and lives with us. That's the comfort. And so, last thing, will you take it? That's verse 27 to 31. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden? My cause is disregarded. You ever talk like that? Like, Lord, where are you? And Isaiah's saying, uh, he's been measuring the heavens like this. They feel abandoned. They've forgotten him. They feel like he's forgotten them. And then he drops these lines. Every youth grows tired and weary. The young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on the wings of eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. 
So your mind should be stretched by Isaiah 40, like, my goodness. Your mind should be amazed by Isaiah 40, that this is our God, and that we are so quick to forget him, think about other things. We're already on to this afternoon. This sermon needs to wrap itself up. We, we can barely sing a, one song without thinking about something else. I mean, may, maybe I'm just talking about myself here. We, we, we barely can even hear this book. We're like, oh, yeah, God's word. We love it. When's the last time you opened it? Here comes verse 31, though. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. That's change. That's transformation. And so here's the application in the end, dear people of God. What is the thing that you're looking for? You're looking for comfort. Where is it going to come from? And God says, I'm coming and here's who I am. You know, for those who don't quite believe yet, uh, there's a number of you. I know I, I talked to you. So let me just talk generally to you guys. Don't you want this to be true? Don't you want this to be true that there's a God like this of Isaiah 40 who sent his son into the world to rescue you? Don't you want that to be true? Isn't there something inside of you that goes, man, that'd be great if that was true? Why is that longing even there? Where does that come from? Why do you want that to be true? You want that to be true because you know deep down, deep down, this is the thing that satisfies. And so this Christmas, take it from one of the greatest Christmas hymns, O Little Town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above the deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by but in the dark street shining, the everlasting light, here it is, the hopes and fears of all your years are found in Christ tonight. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, open up the eyes of the people in this room, including me, to your greatness and splendor. May anyone here who's been in this room for 30 years and just has held you at length because you've let them. Would you, um, would you break through now that blindness? Would anyone here who has been dragged by a spouse uh, or a friend, may they go, I, I don't even know why I want that, but I do. And may all of us who believe this be comforted by the news that Jesus came in flesh. In Jesus' name, amen.